Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast with myself, Dr. Andy Matheson. So the first article that we've got is on APOE3. We'd, we'd covered this before. It's that uh, gene known as the, the Alzheimer's gene. And this article is APOE4, the door to insulin-resistant dyslipidemia and brain fog, a case study. And it was published in Alzheimer's and Dementia. So why are we looking at this in a performance nutrition podcast? So, well, uh, I think the thing I liked about this, firstly, is, is APOE is interesting. And I think uh, something we're going to get asked more and more about our, by our older athletes. Um, but the second bit was it just touched on this idea of cerebral hypometabolism and type 3 diabetes and that this is a potential cause for Alzheimer's disease. So we know the APOE4 gene uh, causes issues with lipids and, and they go a bit into this. Uh, is it to do with the way lipids are shuttled and, and the um, buildup of reactive oxygen species? Um, but then they touch on this idea, which I hadn't come across much before, and I'm sort of just starting to read around, of type 3 diabetes as a Alzheimer's disease as a deficit of brain glucose metabolism over time, um, which is, is a fascinating idea. Now, they then, in this case study, took it further, saying that can we reverse symptoms of Alzheimer's disease in people who have Alzheimer's disease linked to this APOE3 and this brain glucose metabolism problem in the same way as we've been successfully managing type 2 diabetics, i.e. with a keto diet? And they had some really interesting results. 10 weeks, single case study. Obviously, this is just, just very much a start, but found improved cognition, improved their type T, 2 diabetes, obviously, increased the HDL, all the markers we've come to expect to improve with keto diets. But the cognition improvement was pretty significant. And I think if I had Alzheimer's disease or the start of it, I'd want to know, am I APOE gene? positive and I would be moving myself onto a keto diet. It's so, I mean, such a significant change that this has got to be something that's got to get some um, attention. And um, the next article I'll just bring up. Now, this was uh, to do with toll-like receptors and the impact of antibiotics. And this was just a, a curiosity. Uh, so it was called TLR2 and TLR4 activity in monocytes in macrophages after exposure to amoxicillin, ciprofloxacin, doxycycline and erythromycin. Uh, and first off was Lagos, last off was DeVos. And we, we've known for a long time that antibiotics can have an anti-inflammatory effect. Farmers know this. Uh, they know it, it can can help with, with a number of conditions beyond their uh, impact on infections, uh, in particular clarithromycin is the classic one with, with his doctors when we prescribe. Everyone feels better when we give them clarithromycin, regardless of it being a viral or a bacterial infection, because it's like giving someone a whack of steroids. It has an anti-inflammatory effect. So clinically, we're all everyone knows that this i suppose that was just painting a bit more on it where where does that impact come from and it was looking at the sort of toll-like receptors and um the sort of activation um of that 
And it was for the ones we'd expect, the sort of Cipro, the Doxy, Erythromycin, the ones we classically think of, not the amoxicillin, which uh, would be tending to have a bactericidal effect. And, and, you, and if there's an infection there, you'd, you'd expect the opposite going on with uh, lots of bacteria popping and releasing uh, their insides everywhere and driving um, uh, cytokine release and uh, pro-inflammatory changes. Um, I suppose my thought was really, this is just one for athletes that are on a lot of antibiotics. And if someone is on repeated doses of antibiotics, could this have a impact on the inflammatory response? And could this have an impact on their training? And could could people actually be using uh, sort of prophylactic antibiotics, either for a number of conditions, such as UTIs and things like that, um, and it be impacting their ability to train either negatively and impacting their ability to adapt or positively allowing them to train uh, more as a sort of anti-inflammatory, regular anti-inflammatory might. Uh, so it caught my eye. Uh, nothing, nothing that I'll change from my practice on the basis of it, but uh, did make me think. The next article. So this one was in sports medicine, uh, and this was actually... It looked really exciting, but it was a bit disappointing. So it was in sports medicine. It was called Respiratory Viral Infections in Athletes, Many Unanswered Questions. Uh, and it was Ruskin and first author, Juarez, last author. Um, and I'd hoped this was going to be that kind of summary of... Uh, what do we know new from COVID about respiratory viral infections in athletes and what, what else have we described? And, and initially I was, I was hoping for that. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably more just more of the same, essentially summarising that whilst there's numerous studies and numerous views on viral infections in athletes, no one knows, there's no good data. Um, I, I'm hoping that now with COVID, there was such widespread interventions and changes in the numbers of infections we should be starting to get a really good article on it. When everyone started washing their hands and were restricted, did we see less infections, even though they were still doing the same hard training? It, we've, we've done, essentially the data will be out there somewhere. Hopefully someone somewhere is going to bring it together and say to us, look, these guys we were monitoring, and yes, they got less infections, or no, they got just the same things, even though we've removed all those other things that we've been blaming, such as the travel and the uh, working in groups. Uh, so we've done the intervention. When is the article coming? Uh, this wasn't it, unfortunately. The next article was just about steroid use. Uh, it was called Cardiovascular Phenotype of Long-Term Anabolic Androgenic Steroid Abusers Compared with Strength-Tained Athletes. And it was in medicine, science and sports. And it was just an interesting article from Norway just about what's the impact uh, of long-term steroid use on cardiovascular system and cardiovascular health. And this is one of those things where there's, there's so many unknowns about anabolic steroid use because it's so underground and that there's so many unanswered questions um, inevitably these studies are small, they don't have particularly open uh, ideas about the st type of steroid use, what people have used, um, so it's hard to take much from them. It, it seemed pretty negative in, in, in all in all, there wasn't, um, it essentially concluded that uh, there would be um, 
a different divergent phenotype uh, with increased cardiovascular risk and accelerated coronary artery disease with hypertrophy. I'm not sure the numbers they had or the results they got quite backed that up. Um, yes, the HDL change is interesting. Um, probably would have liked to see more there. Uh, very difficult to um, be sure on these numbers about the significance of the ECG and the CT angiogram changes. But uh, there needs to be more like this. This is, this is the right thing to be doing. This is the right start. Let us know and then we can actually have honest conversations with our, our athletes. The next one, switching more to another medical subject. So this was about ketogenic diet and epilepsy. Uh, I sort of there's been lots of, it's kind of relatively accepted in um, difficult to control childhood epilepsy, the ketogenic diet um, is useful. There's a Cochrane review. It was interesting to see this and, and looking to see, is there any real update on it? Um, and unfortunately, I don't think it really added much to the Cochrane review. Uh, so it won't change anything I do. It's still still something that I'll be aware of the, the effectiveness, but um, I think I'd be Still going back to that Cochrane review um, to for, for more information on it. So it was called Ketogenic Diet for Epilepsy, an overview of systemic review and meta-analysis. First officer Rowan, last author Han. Right, and the last article is uh, called Lean Mass Sparing in Resistance Trained Athletes During Caloric Restriction. The Role of Resistant Training Volume. And this was in the European Journal of Applied Physiology. Um, and so this was looking at uh, caloric restriction and what people do um, when they are doing that uh, to sort of accommodate recovery. Um, this review was looking at whether higher training volumes help to spare lean mass when doing calorie restriction. Uh, and it was a meta-analysis. Um, not particularly going to change anything I do. Um, essentially, it was saying that um, a lot of things can impact lean mass um, and heightened anabolic signaling, as well as all the other things, from high sort of training volume will reduce the amount of lean mass loss when you're cutting weight, which we would all say, yeah, that's obvious, but people then get injured. You can't um, keep high training volume while you're doing caloric restriction. People just get injured uh, and the whole idea of reds would go against it. So this felt slightly like a... Um, uh, what happens when scientists maybe get a little bit too focused on the data and, and maybe forget the, the bigger picture certainly didn't feel a kind of holistic view of um, how to manage caloric restriction and reducing an athlete's body mass um, and maintaining lean mass. Certainly better ways to do it. So um, Interesting, and again, just a reminder that there's often a, a long, long way from the, the lab to the, the gym, and, and this did not feel like something that uh, transitioned very well at all. That's the last of it for me today. I hope you've uh, had a good week, managed to get plenty of good training done, and I'll chat to you soon.